Happy Sabbath. We are so glad that you have chosen to join us today for this Sabbath School discussion. We enjoy discussing together, but we also enjoy hearing from you. And so if you have an opportunity to send us an email or to give a phone call to the church, we'd love to hear from you because this is a discussion that we all learn from. If you are, if you have been joining us over the past few weeks, you know that we've been discussing the book of Hebrews. And this beautiful book connects the message of the Old Testament with the New in a really poetic way. So we're so glad that you've been a part of this discussion and um, are looking forward to, to the, the discussion continuing today. We, we will be looking at the book of Hebrews chapters 5 and 7 today, where the writer of Hebrews describes how Jesus is greater than the Old Testament um, priesthood, the Levitical priesthood. And really the theme of the book of Hebrews in general is that Jesus is greater than everything that preceded him before that. And so what does that mean for us? What does that mean that Jesus is greater than the priesthood and that we are also a part of in that line of Jesus's priesthood? But before we get into that, I'd like to invite our um, my partner in this discussion, Pastor Philip, here with us. Hey, Joey. Hello, everyone. Pastor Philip is our young adult pastor, and he does an incredible ministry with Praxis, our young adult ministry. And he's here to help us understand this Levitical priesthood. But before we get into that, before we dive into the passage, let's have a word of prayer together. Good and gracious God, we want to thank you so much for being a God who is so much greater than we could possibly imagine. You showed so much beauty about yourself through the experiences throughout the Old Testament. And then you came in person to, to show us even more about who you are like. And so as we read through the book of Hebrews, help us to understand you even more clearly is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Joy, I'm looking forward to this. This is quite this, the lesson this week. I know. It's wow. A, it, it's a lot. Wow. Yeah. And, and, you know, the priesthood is not something that we think about typically right, now because right, right. we don't have a priesthood. Right. 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 Um, but sometimes we think of pastors as priests. Sure. Some people have made that connection sure. when in reality, we're all priests. Right. right? Paul, Paul gives that clarity. Hey, the priesthood of all believers. Yeah. yeah. Now, I know some communities in our Catholic uh, community, they, they absolutely understand that tie much more uh, to being their their main shepherd is called a priest and functions in some unique ways like the Old Testament priest did. Uh, whereas the Protestant community has pastors, ministers, bishops, you know, in some communities they call it. So it is a foreign term to us. Yeah. 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 So then why don't we start by talking about a little bit what the role of an Old Testament Levitical priest was. Yeah, yeah. So what 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 are some things that the, what was the role that that high priest and, and the priesthood in general were supposed to play for the yeah, community yeah, of that's Israel? Yeah, that's a great place to start. And I think um, the author of Hebrews, I, I believe it was Paul, gives us that clarity right in the very first few verses. And so if we look at that, he gives us an outline. What is the role of a priest? And so beginning in verse 1, Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to, catch this, represent the people in matters related to God, particularly to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. 
This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of other people. So here we catch, at least in my view, three different unique things that made a priest in that time. So this priest was a a go-between, God and others. Secondly, his function was to provide the sacrifice as a merit beckoned unto these people as a correction for their sin. Mm. And thirdly, they were also a priest and that was not perfect, but was subject to their own infirmities as a human being. Mm. So they had weaknesses, they had sins of their own. So they would have to first confess their own sin before they could do that for others. Yeah, That's what I saw. Yeah, so so definitely that that aspect of a go-between, this mm-hmm. this mediator is the word that we often use, yeah. that they are connected with with humanity and also connected with God, and they mm-hmm. almost act like a bridge between the yes. two. Yes, yes. Yeah. Now, and well, there's one other aspect I realized we didn't say is in that they were chosen mm. from among the people. God looked at, at Moses and said, "Hey, set aside your brother." Aaron and wow. all of his sons and then it kind of went through that lineage and it was passed down one to the other to the other as being the high priest so it wasn't something that one could just arbitrarily say hey I'm gonna be the priest for everyone okay mm-hmm. just want everyone to understand that <laughs> you know it was like God appointed this yeah yeah so so they act number one as a mediator and then as someone who mediates the sacrifice yes. to reconcile humanity with God. Right. And then that they also had to sacrifice for themselves right. because they were also broken people. Right. And then they were chosen by God. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. They, this this is what the priesthood yeah. looked like. And you know, it's interesting. They were also limited mm-hmm. specifically. I mean, they didn't inherit any of the land in the promised land Mm -hmm. they were limited to you could say acquiring great wealth acquiring many flocks and all these you know they had some of these things but they were also placed into a a confines of sorts because of their role so being a priest wasn't a an easy thing uh, but b it was also very special honor that was bestowed unto them and as a result of that the tithes we're given we'll get that comes into a little bit in chapter six and then also some of the the blessing from the sacrifices they were received as a result of the fact they didn't have means as others did yeah so they were they were kind of unusual in that they were a part of the community mm-hmm. but they were also a little bit separate yeah, from the were. rest of the community yeah, as well yeah. that that theme of in but not of right that jesus talks right. about for his followers right. Right. You know, and, and this is an interesting thing a bit when we talk about it in our day and time right now, because sometimes people will confuse when I've, I've been in situations where, and maybe this is one of you looking at me and you're like, I've done this. You know, you're with the pastor and all of a sudden, you know, they, they uh, don't assume you eat something or you do something or you said something and they're like, pastor i didn't know that you you know it's like you're held to a higher standard you know and to some degree i understand that but there's this removal of themselves from that standard as well it's like well i don't have to uphold that so it's a shock that you would do that oh my word you know so that's always kind of a funny thing to me but there there is a sense of they uphold and are an example and they um are are called to live in the ideal but the text here points out 
they too suffered with weaknesses. Mm, yeah. You know, and so yeah. this is something I think it's important for church members and, and others to recognize. We as pastors who have taken the, the mantle of sorts, if you want to call it that, uh, are, are suffering the same ailments mm -hmm. as those who are in our pews. Yeah. Um, and we are called to go before the same God who has the solution for us. Yeah. So. Yeah, definitely. There are some that, um, especially in the past, it's becoming less so now, yeah. but especially in the past, there's this sense that um, of equating um, pastoral ministry to a priesthood mm. and um, adding a certain level of otherworldliness to yeah. it. Right. Yeah. And saying that, oh, they need to be more than or better than the rest of the community of mm -hmm, faith mm -hmm. um, because they need to represent that community right. of faith before right. God. So there is that that sense. But you're pointing out that even with the priesthood, when they were separated by God from the rest of the community, God is also identifying where well, the book, book of he the writer of Hebrews is identifying that they they were sinful humans themselves. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, right. Mm -hmm. So. Yes, pastors do floss and they have to take showers. <laughs> Otherwise, they will they will smell, you know, yeah. Yeah, these things that, that you normally don't think of. Oh, they're not a, a regular human being. Um, we we are. And um, beyond that, the the New Testament doesn't seem to make a distinction between pastors and and the rest of God's people mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. that sometimes we make. Yeah, that all people are priests mm. all of god's followers mm. are, are part of his mm. royal priesthood mm. like it says in second peter right yeah. yeah yeah and and i would i would add to that and say we all function in that role because we all can draw people to the source of the greatest sacrifice yeah. right you have the opportunity to lead your co-worker to lead your family member to lead your children in knowing loving and receiving the gift, the greatest sacrifice, which is Christ. So that's why you are too a priest, because you're doing the role that was called upon uh, the Old Testament role. Hey, you're taking the sacrifice. You're giving them uh, help to the remission of sin through this blood. And so that's something that we can all do right now, which is an amazing gift, yeah. actually. Yeah. Do we take it seriously, though? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I remember the sermon that um, Pastor Randy preached. Now it's it was back in November mm -hmm. or so, um, where he said, "You, we are all someone's priest. Hmm. We are all someone's priest." Oh, interesting. And that is a powerful dynamic that I, I hope we're going to get into a little bit more at the end of our discussion today. But just just keep that in mind as as we talk today that we are all someone's priest, which means that what we're discussing today is not just theoretical, it's very practical to us because this is this is a calling that we are all called to, mm. to follow in the footsteps mm. of Jesus. Mm. And Jesus, according to the writer of Hebrews, is greater than mm. greater than all of those Levitical priests mm. that stood in between. They stood in the gap and act as that bridge between God and man. Mm. Jesus was greater than that, them, mm. and we are supposed to follow in in Jesus's footsteps. Oh, wow. footsteps. So, what does that look wow. like? But let's 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 get well, into it a little bit. Now, I wonder, just to take one step backwards, talking about the image of priests, yeah. and now relating that to this day and pastor. Okay, so now we've kind of leveled the playing field. Mm -hmm. Do you think that culture 
has so leveled the playing field that now it's even diminished. So that the image and vision of pastor, minister, priest is so low that it's almost like looking down upon. You know, that would need, I mean, we need to look at the various contexts, but definitely I do think some of the shine of, um, um, uh, that have that has been on pastors and priests, or if you're talking about the Roman Catholic Church, um, has been taken off a bit because scandals, mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. of looking at um, these people that you normally put on pedestals and they, they didn't really seem to live up to that ideal. Um, because like you said, we are human. Mm. We are fallen human beings. Mm. And when the reality of that comes to the fore, um, I think it it helps, it disappoints people. Mm -hmm. And when you're disappointed by, they, they say you should never meet your heroes, right? Mm. When you're disappointed by people that you thought were at a higher place and then you realize that they're not, it does seem to drop them even lower. Yeah. But I think the problem initially does come from putting anybody on that pedestal mm. because really none of us should be on that pedestal, mm. right? Even Jesus, when the when uh, the rich young ruler came up to him and said, "Good teacher," he yeah. said, "Why do you call me good? Yeah. Right? No one is good. Yeah. Right? So I think that really should be the response of us as pastors mm. is if someone is wanting to put us on the pedestal to yeah. say, you know what, we are just fellow fellow journeyman. believers, yeah. fellow journeymen on this this journey towards towards God. Yeah. So we need to be taken what, off that What do you do with the passage when Paul though says, hey, follow me as I follow Christ, right? Yeah. That you, you're, you're also called to, yeah. to call people to, hey, look at how I'm running the race. I want you to run that in this way as well because my eyes are set and fixed on the prize, which is Jesus, you know? Yeah. Um, Man, that is wow. a tough place yeah. to realize like, wow, uh, do not take for granted the call to be a teacher, as Paul says, uh, a one who beckons the word to God's people because there is a high calling to it too. Yeah. You know, and so while we talk about, hey, we are all weak and and we are in dealing with the same type of sins and mm -hmm. we do the same things that everyone else does, there's also this level of, wow, wait a second. There is also a reverence I've got to live up to in this. Yeah, it is a high calling. Yeah, I'm reminded of um, a DC Talk song from a long time ago. <laughs> Joey, I'm dating yourself. When. I'm definitely dating myself. But there, there is a line that has stuck with me or several lines that have stuck me, with okay. me. And it goes, what if I stumble? What if I fall? Hmm. What if I lose my step and make fools of us all? Hmm. Right? Talking about how... If I am called, and this is not a pastor speaking, this is a Christian speaking and saying, how do I live up to this high calling that God has called me to? How do mm. I say, um, this is who Christ is like. I'm trying to live out who yeah. Christ is like yeah. in your life when I realize that I'm still a broken, fallen human being, mm. right? Um, you know, it's kind of why I don't put Christian bumper stickers on my car because <laughs> maybe I don't always want people oh, to know, yeah. right? So that 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 fear of misrepresenting God yeah. sometimes does keep us mm. from for standing up for God. Mm. But what I think we need to realize is that despite the fact that we are broken, mm. we are 
we don't ever live up fully to what God has called us to be. Right. That shouldn't make us afraid to mm. stand up boldly for mm. him and yeah. say, I'm broken, yeah. but I am trying to follow him and and, and love our mm. world mm. as best as I can. And God is continuing to grow that mm. within me. Mm. I think it was um, Ruth um, Graham that said that, um, I, that she wanted um, a road sign um, uh, to be put, put on her, um, her grave when she died. And the roadside was, um, um, still in construction. Thank you for your patience. <laughs> right. And that really, I think that that's the state for all of us. We're still that. in construction. I love that. Yeah. I love that. And we need people's patience. That's such a, such a tough space to be in. I think when you sense the call, but I also love the fact that as the text gets to, which maybe we can go to next, is there is a sacrifice. Mm. And the sacrifice is there for us, mm. for each one of us. Mm. Chapter 6 goes into this a little bit more, that one can't be saved again. It mm. says, if you've fallen, it's impossible. And, and maybe in some of the other lessons, it'll get into this. But the idea is there can't be salvation again for you if there's no sense of repentance. Mm. If you have no repentance, you can't be saved again when you fall. Mm. You have to humble yourself. Yeah. Every single one of us, when you make a mistake in this life, ignorantly or intentionally, you have to fall to your knees and repent of that. Otherwise, there is no forgiveness for you. 1 John 1, 9. He is faithful to forgive those who confess their sins. Mm -hmm. So that's a really important aspect to this journey recognizing, hey, we're all a work in progress, and especially for the fact that if we're willing to humble ourselves, God will, though, raise us up again. Yeah. Where we can still, in some confident but yet humble way, say, hey, come follow me. Even when I fall, I want you to know where I'm going back up to. I'm going back up to the Father, and I'm praying for forgiveness. That's my kids, too, mm -hmm. right? Recently, I, I, I did something, yelled a little bit loudly, got angry with my daughter. She wasn't listening. And I was like, why did I need to do that? I didn't mm. need to do And I looked at her and I said, Petra, I'm so sorry. Mm. I'm so sorry. And she looked at me and she said, that's okay, dad. Yeah. And she gives me a hug, you know. Oh, wow. That journey that we could go through that yes. together. She recognizes I'm a fallen human being. I'm trying to do my best here, but I, I didn't hold my cool well. Yeah. But there's that offer of forgiveness that she gave me, which was so precious yeah. on her part. Three year, almost three year old. She's two. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I I agree with you that we don't put enough emphasis on that process of re re repentance and mm -hmm. redemption, mm -hmm. right? And I think it's because there is this core belief within us that people don't change. Mm. That I don't really expect broken people to change. I don't really yeah. expect myself yeah. to change, yeah. right? And so that leads us to just one of two options. One option is hiddenness, where mm. we just hide that brokenness and pretend it doesn't exist, mm -hmm. which is where a lot of Christians find themselves. We just hide that brokenness and say, well, as long as nobody knows it's there, yeah. maybe I can live with it, right? Right. right. Or the second option mm. is to just give up and be mm. fatalistic and say, well, this is who I am. I'm never going to change. So take me as I am or don't take me at all, mm. right? So that, and that's the, the sense that most um, people who have kind of given up on uh, religion 
um, live in, mm. right? One of those two spaces. Mm. And yet what the Bible seems to be clear about is, yes, we're broken people and we may never be um, completely unbroken this side of heaven, but there is an expectation of healing and growth mm, mm, that mm, that mm. that brokenness will continue to we will continue mm. to improve yeah and that growth is expected yeah and but it only comes from what you talked about from true repentance right from actually examining that brokenness being honest about it mm. actually sharing that with other people mm-hmm. and going through a process of healing mm. that leads to redemption mm. Mm. and yet because we we are unwilling to do that and we sort of believe that people don't change how we handle when when the hiddenness fails ultimately it always fails right yeah, yeah. when the hiddenness fails and the sin comes out how we deal with it is basically we shame people yes. we punish them yes. and then if enough time has passed and we feel like they've been shamed and punished enough, then we let them come back. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But it's not real healing Oof. that we lead them through. Oh, man. Because we don't expect it to happen. Yeah. Young people feel that I think a lot in, in circles that I'm around where they feel like the church is just such a judgmental space yeah. where they don't have enough money in the bank to fail around the church folk. Yeah. You know, it's like, wow, I don't want to come here and admit my faults because this is where I'll be judged. Mm-hmm. Where in essence, though, the church should be a landing and holding space yes. where there is grace for our failures yeah. and restoration to the community. Yeah, That was the whole point of the sacrifice here. Yeah. The, the priest would take the sacrifices for the people. Yes. For what reason? Mm. To restore right relationships. Yes. Sin causes a brokenness of relationship. When we are in sin, we're in as darkness, as you point out, and there isn't clarity and light on who's in the room here. It's like you want to hide yourself from the room. Adam and Eve clothed themselves with the leaves, so you can't really see who I am, but that's not relationship. God wants and yearns for restoration. So when, when the church can be at its best, at its best, and I want to talk to those of you who are here and that you might have been hurt by the church. The church at its best should be a landing space mm-hmm. for our brokenness. When it isn't, that is a difficult space because you're in the power now, actually, believe it or not, to offer forgiveness. You didn't live up to your best. And it's usually not, we call it the church, mm-hmm. but it's really people in the church, right? Yeah. The people make up the church, the ecclesia. And it's in those times when the broken actually have the opportunity to say, I forgive you, though I will still learn to kind of trust you slowly, Mm. but I forgive you. You didn't live up to the best space that you were called to be, which is a holding tank for my sin. Ooh, man. And showing that kind of grace doesn't mean that we excuse sin. We're right. not saying that sin right. is okay. Right. right? We're, right. We're, we are recognizing how incredibly destructive sin is, right. which, why, which is why it's so important for us to go through this process of purging that sin from our lives. But mm-hmm. that purging, at least according to scripture, seems to only come when we are honest mm. and we confess our sins, like it says in James, right? Confess your sins mm. to each other, mm. right? So that... That cleansing comes when we are able to be transparent and honest. But unless we create those kind of spaces mm. where people feel safe yeah. to confess and yeah. be honest and yeah. to be accepted and to be led through a change process, mm. unless that happens, 
then true healing can't happen. Mm. And that is one of the that is one of the most beautiful gifts that we can offer this world mm. is that healing is possible yeah. when we have that kind of community of grace yeah. and faith. Yeah. I remember walking through a journey of James 5, 8, confess your sins, therefore, one to another and pray for each other mm-hmm. that you may be healed. Yes. It's almost like there's a sequence yeah. of sorts. It's, it's this necessity to bring light to the darkness. Yeah. I've confessed it. I've brought it forth. It brings freedom to the soul yeah. when you confess your sin, actually. One young man that I was working with that ended up in prison, he said, I'm so glad to be here. And I think I might have shared this before. I'm glad to be here because everything's come to light. Mm -hmm. And then there's this aspect, this next step, which is the role of the priest, Mm -hmm. of all of us, to pray for one another. You don't leave people in the midst of just confessing this, just alone in that space. Now it is, hey, let's take this before God. Take this before God. And I would also add, sometimes in the process of accountability with people that I've done this with, I ask them this, after we've prayed, do you still sense a feeling of guilt over you? Mm. And sometimes there's this word of, yeah, I do. And I ask, why is that? And there's this aspect of needing to go to the person they've harmed Mm. because they realize I haven't done that, which is the call of the New Testament. Hey, go to your brother and sister Mm -hmm. before you kind of get this full healing. And so... I think that the prayer portion that James points out is is also, hey, we need to communicate. Communicate with the broken, but communicate the one we've hurt, communicate with God. And then the final step, healing emerges. Mm. But if someone still struggles to say, I don't feel like my conscience is clear, mm. then you have to ask yourself, are you trying to play God? and beat yourself over the head longer than God requires. You can feel bad. Mm -hmm. I remember one young man, he ended up being a wild and reckless, young teenager, drives through a stop sign going over a hundred miles an hour on a Michigan road, and he kills a family. Mm -hmm. I knew his two sisters. That young guy dealt with the regret. What did I do? I took that might stay with him. But he also has to get to a point of recognizing he went to prison. He paid for his public sin. He's prayed and asked for forgiveness. He's spoken to the family. And at that point, there there has to be a sense of saying, there is nothing I can do to bring these people back, to bring this moment back when I was in sin. But what I can do is change the future actions of my life and be an advocate for, you know, not to be drunk and driving or to do other things. You know, it's just, you can do something in the future then. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that we don't get debilitated by the guilt and the shame of of what we've done because God is always trying to lead us towards Mm -hmm. restoration. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean that we can just forget it and pretend that right. it never happened. Right. That's right. always going right. to be a part of our lives, yes. right? But that hopefully will lead us to something healthier yes. and it will lead us to a restoration. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. You know, not to bring in, I guess, a public policy here, but when we talk about prison reform, I think there needs to be 
societal reform, when it mm-hmm. talks about sins of people's actions and how they hurt society. Um, I remember being in a church community in the Midwest, loved this place, loved the church and the people there. But there was a fear with the with the prisoners who had been released that had been doing Bible studies, our Adventist Bible study series, and they come to the church actually. It's like, Whoa, I didn't think you'd be here really. Uh, wow. Uh, okay. Hi, brother. So and so. Let me grab my children and let's run to the next corner yeah. here. Um, when when people pay for quote unquote their sin, there has to also be obviously an intelligence that we approach them with. Of of not placing them in the treasury department if they were a thief of some you know and st- you know, but there also has to be a, a sense of reconciliation has occurred mm-hmm. with the community with God. Now I too have to treat the one who was guilty differently. Wow, and that is a challenge. Yeah. That was a challenge for this church community I was pastoring, but it's also a challenge for us regularly to build again the relationships with those that hurt us in our atmosphere it might be a colleague it might be a spouse it might be a child business partner other you know it's like wow when people have quote unquote paid for their sins yeah we've got to act different now yeah we can't keep them shamed like you said shamed mm-hmm. forever yeah yeah and and that may be a process right like it you is were talking about it it's is. not like all of a sudden it's all forgiven, all gone, right. and we trust right. that trust needs to be rebuilt. Right. right? And, yes. Yes. But the problem is a lot like you're pointing mm-hmm. out, the problem is often we don't have a process yeah. to deal with it. Yeah. And we just kind of go by, well, has enough time passed? passed. Yeah. Rather than actually engaging in an yes. intentional process of healing and restoration. And the guilty party needs to recognize that. You know, they can't assume that everything's going to be just fine again. I've, I've experienced that in marriage counseling with couples. And, and one of the spouses is just like, they keep holding this against me. Mm-hmm. You know, I just don't feel like I can move on with our marriage in this type of... Hey, that's what you kind of get for a season. Mm-hmm. I think it can only be a season. It cannot be permanent. But the other spouse needs to to sense that there's actions that are different, need to sense that you've really changed, that this isn't going to just come back again. And so the guilty and the one that has been hurt work together. Hmm. But like you said, in a process. Yeah. Too many times it's kind of invisible and we don't communicate the process. Yeah. And that's really what Jesus did for us, right? Mm. He came to reconcile the two parties us who had broken and broken up from god mm-hmm. and god mm-hmm. he was to act as that bridge and yes. according to the writer of hebrews he does it even greater than the levitical priesthood because mm-hmm. that was their role mm-hmm. right aaron and his descendants were to be that bridge but according to the writer of hebrews jesus is even greater than them mm-hmm. so in in what way is jesus greater than the levitical priesthood Yeah, I mean, you know, like the very first section here said, um, verse 3, this is why the priest has to offer sacrifices for their own sins because they are subject to infirmities and weakness. Mm -hmm. But Jesus isn't. He did not sin. He was perfect. And so Jesus is different in that very basic way as a human who was subject to human um, ailments he did not fall to temptation. Yes. So that's the first thing I think of. 
Yeah. What about you? What's another thing that makes well, him different? Well, let's let's read what the writer of Hebrews says in verses five through ten. Okay. Says, in the same way, so in the same way as the Levitical priesthood, Christ did not take on upon himself the glory of becoming a high priest. But God said to him, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Mm. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever Mm. in the order of Mm. Melchizedek. Mm. Mm. During the days of Jesus's life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Mm. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. And then, and then he kind of goes on the side tr- um, journey and then continues this in chapter seven and describing of yeah. how Jesus is in the order of Melchizedek, that Melchizedek, you know, didn't come from the Aaronic lineage, yeah. right? He was just called by God and yet he was a priest. So yeah. he was greater than um, Aaron, bec- um, the other priests that came after Aaron, because they were only priests because of the lineage, their connection mm, to Aaron. Mm. But Melchizedek was called directly by God mm. to be a priest, just like Jesus was directly called mm. by God. Mm. And then he uses um, some poetic metaphors to talk about how he didn't have a father and mother. Of course, Melchizedek did have uh, uh, have parents, yeah. but Jesus, Jesus was an eternal God, right? Mm. Just as he was human, he was also God. Mm. And so it makes that connection that Jesus Jesus was indestructible. He had an indestructible life. Mm. And that was proven through the mm. fact that he was resurrected from mm. the dead. Mm. And so what Jesus brings that all of these other, other priests didn't bring was, first of all, like you said, he is blameless and sinless. Uh-huh. But he also he also proved that his path worked because he was resurrected from the dead, yes, which yes, none of these other yes, priests right, ever were right, resurrected right, from right, the right. dead. Yeah. yeah. And, and the fact that you said he was called, unlike the lineage of yeah. Aaron, yeah. he was called directly by God. Here we you have these quotes from the Psalms and uh, Psalm 2 and then 110. I think it's also interesting here that it says he was reverent in submission and that he learned obedience yeah. from what he suffered. Wow. Joe, you might come into a little uh, taboo subject here. <laughs> but can God mm. learn? Yeah. Is he subject to this need to obey? Yeah. What's going on here? This is quite the topic, brother. I know. You know, the, I, 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 I like how the, the author of our uh, the lesson study for this week touched upon that aspect of obedience at Uh. least right that as god jesus really didn't need to obey but that when he came here on earth he submitted himself with god so he learned obedience in a very different way than he had in the past what do you mean what do you mean so that was a new experience for jesus as as god he in a sense, he obeys the other members of the Godhead because mm. they are in submission to each other, yeah. right? But it was a very different thing when he came here and, on earth ah, and became like a human. human, okay. Form, a, becoming fully human and fully God, mm. he experienced obedience in a way that he had never before. Mm. Um, partially, I think, because, and this is just my conjecture, partially because he didn't have 
all the knowledge of the universe in his mind when he was here on earth. I can't believe that as a baby, he was born with all the knowledge and omniscience yeah. and yeah. all of those things yeah. were limited. So he experienced life in a very different way than he had ever experienced mm. life before. And that was chosen on his yeah. part. Yeah, he so chose it, to it, do that. It was, I forgot the philosophical term that one one was used, but it's it's a it's a uh, a limit that God put on himself. Yeah. So you can't say he's still now not all powerful and all knowing because God chose this upon himself. And it reminds me of, of Luke chapter two, mm -hmm. when Jesus is in the temple and there's yeah. a very, very profound few verses there at the end of the chapter where you can see the psychosocial development mm -hmm. of Christ explained. I wanna oh, go there just for a moment before someone starts calling, calling us a heretic here. Um, here, Jesus goes down and uh, he looks at his mom, Mary, and Father Joseph when they were freaking out, when they couldn't find them. There he was in the temple in verse 49, chapter 2. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be of my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. So even as a young child, he did have almost like a, a larger consciousness mm -hmm. of sorts of, of who he was and what he was doing. But then, pay attention to this, then he went to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. Mm -hmm. Here's that idea of obedience again. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom, stature, and favor with God and man. Mm -hmm. So he grew in his physiology. Mm -hmm. He grew in his intellect and understanding, this idea of wisdom. And he grew in just kind of this societal favor, blessing amongst people. So there was this notion of progression that was occurring. Mm -hmm. But did he mean he was doing something wrong and it was corrected? I don't think that's what it's necessarily mm -hmm. pointing to. So let's not put Jesus to be in the box of he had committed sin and then he had you know, been forgiven. No, 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 it's, hey, I'm learning with you as my physiology is increasing from being a little boy to being now a man. You know. And this is something that we've talked about in this Sabbath school discussion before, is this idea of perfection and how um, a lot of times our understanding of perfection comes from the Greek philosophical idea of perfection, which mm. is changelessness. Something mm. that is perfect is absolutely perfect for all time and it cannot change. Otherwise, it would no longer be perfect. You mm. can't consider it perfect. Mm. Well, the Hebrew concept of perfection was very different. The Hebrew concept of perfection was an idea of perfection for what something is at the stage that it is in. Mm. So we can think of a baby being perfect when we, a baby is born. It's We say that it's perfect, mm. meaning that it has 10 fingers and 10 toes, <laughs> and, you know, it's healthy and all, all of those things, that this baby is perfect. But does that mean that the baby can't change? Uh. No. Actually, part of the reason why we say that it's perfect is because precisely because it is growing. Mm. If the baby stopped growing, it would no longer be perfect anymore, uh, right? Yeah. So there's this idea that perfection is actually an, um, a, a, that growth is actually a part of being perfect. Mm. So Jesus could still be perfect as a baby. He could be perfect as a child, but that doesn't preclude him from growing and learning and developing because that was a part of what it meant to be a baby mm. and a child mm. that he needed to grow in stature, wisdom and stature with God and man, in favor mm. with God and man. So there is this sense that growth is a part of, of perfection. Mm. Um, and so 
it does seem that Jesus did grow. He did learn um, as a human um, what it meant to follow God and what it meant to to live life here on earth. Mm. And maybe even Jesus as God learned something different from being with humans. Now, I know that's, that's getting into little... Little choppy waters You're here, some gray area <laughs> and I'm not necessarily saying that this has to be true, but you know, the, the writer of Hebrews does make this connection mm-hmm. between how um, what made the priests able to do their work was that they came from among the people, mm-hmm. right? That mm-hmm. is a that is a tenet of what he's saying, that they understood the failings of humanity mm. because they were they came from among mm. the people, and that's yeah, and they could have empathy. Yeah, they yes. could have empathy. Mm-hmm. from living among them. And so, you know, we can say that Jesus came down to show that he understood when he already did understand humanity, mm. to show that he, to prove that he understood us, he came among men. Mm. But I wonder if perhaps God, Jesus himself learned something from that experience mm. in that um, becoming and living among God, living among men, having to be obedient to human parents. Mm was an experience that he had never had before. Oh, sure. So is it possible that that experience also taught him and helped him understand better what humans were going Mm. through Mm. and enabled Mm. him to even Mm. be a better mediator Mm. between God and man? uh, What happens in Hebrews later on, or was it before now, I'm forgetting, that, hey, we have such a high priest who knows our infirmities, who knows our temptations, yeah. And can yet still offer forgiveness for us, you know. So it's like, I've been in your shoes. Yeah, I know what it's like. Yeah. So kind of what you're saying is is right in line with that, with what Hebrews points to. Jesus understands and has the deepest form of empathy because he walked that same path. Yeah. By choice. Yeah. yeah. And and honestly, if I'm comparing my life to Jesus's he experienced much more extreme versions of pain and suffering oh, yeah. than, than I ever have, right? Yeah. So he's gone deeper into the, yes. the, um, the sufferings of humanity than yes. I hopefully yes. ever will experience myself. Yeah. And so uh, that's the journey that Jesus took for, upon himself. If I can just point to one thing here, which I just think is so profound, it was that this reverent submission, verse uh, 8 and 9, it, it came about out of suffering. Mm. The learned obedience, the, the process of submission came out from suffering. I, I preached recently on Judges chapter 2. Okay. And it's there when another generation arises that did not know God nor his works mm. of the past. And God allowed them to fall into suffering so that mm. they might come back to him. Oh. You know, you now I'm not I'm kind of deviating a little bit from from where we are, but just the idea that suffering produces a beckoning call back to the Father. It 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 produces the opportunity for obedience and growth because the suffering causes us to finally look up at times. Not that mm-hmm. we've caused the suffering, not yeah. that it's always as a result of our Uh, disobedience but just simply that suffering gives us an opportunity to humble ourselves and then to look up to the father and say god i i need your help right now yeah 
I'm in a difficult financial strait, relational strait, academic work. I'm just struggling, you know, psychosocially here in relationships with friends. Like, God, I, I need you. Mm-hmm. But it takes humility to get to that point. Yeah. So suffering has the opportunity to teach us something if we allow it to. Yeah. And I think that's exactly what happened here. Jesus learned because he allowed the suffering to teach him. Yeah, that's so beautiful. And really where we want to turn next is is this idea that, you know, Jesus is a greater priest than all of the priesthood that preceded him. But we are to walk in his footsteps. Mm. Like um, Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 2, that we are all a royal priesthood, mm. right? So if, if we really believe that we are the priesthood of all believers, of all followers of God, so then what does that mean for us? What does it mean to follow in Jesus' footsteps mm. as priests? What mm. does that look like mm. for us as followers of Jesus? Mm. What would you say? Boy, I think something that we brought out early on really comes to mind is that as priests that we're all called to be, we all can usher people into the kingdom of God mm. as, as, a, as a conduit to draw them to the Father. Yeah. I'd say that's probably one of the biggest reasons yeah. I would say that it comes to truth for me. Yeah. And one that we've talked about, what we mentioned earlier, one that sometimes we shy away from because we don't, we're a little bit afraid about saying that we are representing God mm. to these people. But mm. the reality is that for some people, we will be the first face of God that mm. they will see, mm. right? The way that we live our lives, the way that we communicate love to right. other, the people around us right. is an opportunity to show them a little bit of the love that mm. we've received from mm. God and from mm. others mm. in our lives. And it isn't to say that we are in any equality with God, no. right? No. That isn't that isn't what we're saying here, but it is that we bear like the moon is the reflection of the yeah. sun. The reason why you see it up in the sky is because it's reflecting the light from the sun. Likewise, we do the same. We reflect the light of the Father, the Son, the mm-hmm. Holy Spirit to those around us. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. like how one, one writer put it, our life is the fourth gospel, the fifth gospel. You know, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then you're like, wait, there's a fifth one? Yeah, it's your life. Your mm-hmm. life tells wow. the story of Jesus to the world, to yes. others around you. Yeah. Um, so that's a big one. Yeah. That's a big one. And then the, the other side of the coin, because the priest was not only supposed to represent God to man, but also man to God, right? Mm. So that other flip side of the coin is is the, the way that we can empathize mm. with the people around us. Mm. That we are, yes, we are in, but not of, right? Yes. Um, that, that's how God, Jesus describes his, his followers, that we need to actually be among people. Mm. We have to empathize with mm. them right? That we need to understand the experiences that they're going through. Otherwise, we can't communicate effectively God's love mm. to them if we don't first understand. Mm. It's mm. not us mm. walking by and just, I mean, I, I love literature ministries and handing out pamphlets. I think they, they're they a powerful way of leading people to God. But unless it's done with love, unless it's done with understanding, it can't, it doesn't have the same impact and effectiveness mm. right mm. so we need we need to walk we need to both uh, be connected with god enough that we can show his love to people but be connected with the people that we're trying to reach so that we are actually we empathize with them and mm. show love mm. to them 
I really also like one added aspect, which will come on later maybe, and that is the, the idea that Jesus is interceding, yeah. right? And so when you talk yeah. about, well, what can you do to follow yes. Christ? Hey, my role, like you brought out, the second aspect is to draw God's people to the Father through prayer. Mm-hmm. I can intercede, and that's something yes. you can do today for someone in your life that you know is hurting, is broken, is struggling with addiction or some form of sin or just in a difficult season, your call as a believer is to bring them before the Father because it is in that place that Jesus, by your prayer, can then move into their life. And that is a powerful thing that you and I have the ability to do. That's what Jesus is doing right now on all of our behalves. Yeah. And and I love, love that you use that word call because priests are called, mm-hmm. right? That's the point that you brought up. Yeah. And if we're all priests, that means that we are all called, mm. right? Um, and this is something that we've discussed before, this idea of um, whether a pastoral calling is different mm. than a calling for, for everybody else. Um, you know, I used to think that. Uh, I used to approach pastoral calling that way, that, oh, that there was there's a special type of calling reserved for pastors. But as I study scripture more, and especially as we've journeyed through this idea of a priesthood of all believers, um, uh, the unprofessional series that Mm. Pastor Randy preached, the more and more I'm coming to believe that all our callings, we are all called people. Mm. We are called to different things, Mm. but we are all called people. Mm. And sometimes our callings will be the same as our careers. Mm. And sometimes our callings will be different than our careers. Mm. But that, that God does have a place and a people mm. that he wants us to reach, mm. every single one of us. Mm. And so it is, an, it, is the, it is necessary for us to really discover what, what God has called us to do and who God has called us to reach. Mm. Who are the people around us that God wants us to be mm. a priest in their mm. lives too? Mm. I don't know. Mm. Philip, what do you think? Yeah, about that? yeah. I mean, I think I resonate and I also see the idea of calling uniquely in that there, there are multiple callings, right? We are all called to salvation. We are all called to unique ministries. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that, I would add another layer of that some are then even called to pastoral ministry to to limit themselves in this humanness of sense of saying hey i'm i'm going to be a go between for god's people to some degree to help you find your way to christ not that i will stand in the place as jesus does but i'm going to i'm going to help lead you there mm-hmm. not everyone is is called to vocational ministry like mm-hmm. no one not all are called to being a plumber or a teacher or mm-hmm to be a nurse in healthcare, a physician or something else, you know. Uh, so I think there are multiple calls mm. and we're all called to something different based on the unique gift sets yeah. that God has given us. Yeah. And uh, I pray that each one of you senses a call in your life to do something for Jesus, no matter what field you're in. You are called to be a priesthood of all believers. Yeah. Yeah. You're, I, I think you're absolutely right. Some of the callings that that uh, we receive, we receive are to call a call to serve within the church organization. Mm-hmm. Um, as as it describes in Ephesians chapter two, that some there are some callings, there are some spiritual gifts, uh, teachers and evangelists that are 
supposed to equip people for for ministry yeah right and so the whole the whole idea is within the church you equip people that there are some callings called to equip people to do ministry but that ministry can happen within the context mm -hmm. of the church and it can happen outside of the church mm -hmm. um one of my favorite um metaphors in it, with this idea is that you know a lot of times we've thought of the church as a restaurant mm. where people come to be served right but what if we were not a restaurant? What if we were like a depot for food trucks, mm. right? Where they, where food trucks would come to be, re, you know, to be recharged, to to get their supplies, yeah. to be equipped and trained, yes. and then sent out yes. into the world. I love that to serve. Love that, right? Yeah. Um, what if we were a food truck commissary, right? <laughs> that, that that is the role of of the church. Yeah. And, and some of us, some of us, like uh, as pastors. We serve within that 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 um, that equipping equipping depot, right, 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 right. But there are people that we send out and hopefully into the world mm -hmm, to do mm -hmm, service mm -hmm, for mm -hmm. for the world around yeah. us. I've heard it said this way, and I know we probably need to close. But you know, the church is is not the fan in the stands watching the game. They're actually the player who's sitting there at halftime listening to the coach getting excited, learning the plays, and they're about to get on the field. You know, that's the church. Yeah. And if we confuse that, finding ourselves to be, well, I feel better as a, in the pew. I'll pay for the ticket, yeah. which provides the venue. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. You have a part to play. Yeah. Every one of you. Mm -hmm. You're all on the field. You know, yeah. Some are the coach, some are the defensive linemen, some's the, you know, offensive kicker. It's just that everyone has a different role. But we're all actually playing on the field. Yeah, we're a part of the success. Yeah, and as a football fan, I'd I'd like to say that I I, I feel like I am a part of the success of my team as well. <laughs> the louder I cheer, the stands actually make yeah. a difference. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> I get your point. Yes, we are all called to be a part of the ministry of God, whether that that call happens within the context of the church community or outside in the mm -hmm. world. Um, we that is our calling. Yeah. Philip, will you wrap us up? Yeah, her? yeah, absolutely. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time that we got to share together. And Jesus, my prayer is that you would fill every single one of us with a hope for this week that we, A, have been forgiven, and B, that we are called to be ministers who are both broken and in need of Christ to usher others into that same space. Lord, may we follow after you faithfully, to be wisely called into ministry as priests of the blessed hope of the New Testament, all of us together, leading God's people to greater faithfulness. Jesus, we yearn for your second coming. We yearn for that day we'll see you in the clouds. And so today, Father, I pray we would sense that hope that you are the one who is coming, and we want to see as many come with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Friends. We are all called to be a priest in someone's life. So can go out there and connect someone to Jesus. Have a happy Sabbath. Mm -hmm.